It's the Real Faith for Real Life podcast. Today, we got a lot to talk about, including the metaverse growing and growing and expanding, even to include cows. <laughs> and to go off of more cows, more dairy, we're going to talk about Shazam for cheese. Plus, you know, on this podcast, we talk about uh, all things faith and life. And we're starting a new series about the difficult sayings of Jesus called, Did Jesus Really Say That? That's coming up today on Real Faith for Real Life, a podcast from Cascade Fellowship in Grand Rapids, Michigan. All right, everybody, welcome him back, Brian. Looking tanner than usual. We, <laughs> For a couple weeks, we'll see. Yeah, yeah. We, we had Pastor Eric sitting in the past two weeks because you were in Hawaii. That's right. Celebrating your anniversary. Congratulations. Thank you. Did you have a good time? We had a great time. Excited well, to be back, though, too. What was your sure. favorite part of Hawaii? Uh, probably we biked down the volcano in Maui, Ooh. so that was fun. Didn't really have to do much work. It was all downhill. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great way to start the show today. Yeah. And uh, I can imagine your one of your favorite things was it's not like snowing constantly. Oh, absolutely. It has sunny and warm. I don't know where you're listening to from, everybody, but here in Grand Rapids, it hasn't been over freezing for <laughs> literally a month. Yep. I believe it's, it. Yeah. Anyway, let's a good break. Let's talk about you know the metaverse. We yeah. we always survey what's in the news. We think that real faith impacts real life. The two intersect, so we're always keeping our eye on the headlines of what's going on in the world. Yeah. And you know, some I, actually we've talked about VR quite a bit here. I have VR goggles, have the Oculus Quest, or now okay. the Meta Quest. Um, and on a day like today, where it's just snowy, you, you want to be transported somewhere else, <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, I saw this article that it's not only humans that want to be transported someone else, somewhere else, it's cows. Okay. Too. The headline is, Farmer puts VR headsets on cows to simulate green pastures. <laughs> okay. But are animals colorblind? Like, dogs are colorblind, right? So does it even matter? You know, I don't know if cows are <laughs> colorblind or not, but apparently it works, because check this out. Uh, they say that the cows on that particular farm usually produce 22 liters of milk per day, Okay. but the VR cows, the metaverse cows, the cows that are in the matrix, right, <laughs> they are happier, and they produce 27 liters of milk per day, five liters okay. more. Interesting. VR, man. VR. So let's keep on this dairy conversation. Dairy another, today. Another article that you found is Shazam, which if you don't know, Shazam mm -hmm. is uh, an app on your phone to identify a song that you hear. So you hear music, not sure the name or the, the artist, you push this app and it names the, the not the cheese, the <laughs> music. Yeah. So there's an app for cheese identifying now, right? Shazam. Shazam. All right. <laughs> All right. I, I, use, I don't know where you find these articles. I use Shazam a lot, right? Yeah. I, I love discovering new music that way. I'm also a cheese aficionado. Okay. I love cheese. And really, if you find yourself like at a party and you have a platter of cheese, you're like, wow, what was that? Yeah. Well, now, <laughs> thanks to technology, you can aim your phone at the cheese, take a picture, and through artificial intelligence, it'll tell you what kind of cheese it is. That's interesting. Does it work? <laughs> Supposedly, it's okay. okay. It'll get better as they feed more information. Get it feed, feed the cheese mm -hmm, into mm -hmm. the <laughs> into the AI. If you're looking for a good app to try out, try Cheezam. <laughs> All right. 
Well, when we come back, we're going to dive into a new series that we started at Cascade Fellowship this past weekend, and that is called Did Jesus Really Say That? So we're talking talking about some difficult teachings and sayings from Jesus in Scripture that we find and talking about what they really mean, right? Right. All right, so like we said, we are starting today a three-week series called Did Jesus Really Say That? We're going to talk about some of Jesus's more difficult sayings and teachings. Um, so before we dive in today's, into today's topic, I got to ask, where did this idea come from? It's not an easy discussion or an easy topic, so where did you come up with this? Yeah, so, you know, I planned these topics maybe a year in advance or so. So I was in Denver uh, last year and just thinking about different um different things that would make a difference in people's lives. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, the Bible, it's really important that we, especially as Christians, we understand that it's totally reliable, it's totally trustworthy, it's not riddled with errors and human, you know, fallibility, but it is the very Word of God. Mm -hmm. So, what do we do when we open up this book and we read Jesus saying something that just is like, whoa, that barely makes sense, or that violates common sense, or I just don't know how to like square that away yeah. um, with what is true and what is real in the world. So I want Christians, and even if you're listening today and you don't know where you stand on this whole Jesus thing, I, I want all of us to be able to open the Bible and say, oh yeah, n okay, now this makes sense. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the heart behind this, and that's why it's so important to me. Yeah, and we've also made, you know, when you came in, you... As pastor here, you talked about how biblical literacy needs to be something that we really rally around and make important. And so understanding these more difficult topics or teachings is part of that too, right? To yeah. understand the Bible, you need to understand all of the story too. So, yeah, I think it increases your confidence in yeah. the Bible, right. that you don't have to be scared about what you'll find in there if you, if you dive deeper, um, that it all makes sense and that it all ultimately points to God trying to speak to us, yep. something that's really important for us to hear. So let's read the text for our first difficult saying of Jesus. It's found in Luke chapter 14, and we're going to start in verse 25. It says, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, Jesus said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to, be, wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will, be, will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor the manure pile. It's thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So maybe it's helpful for us to start with the big picture. What's really going on here? Well, I love this because this is classic Jesus, right? <laughs> he, 
he says a lot of difficult things, and this is one of them. And he's not saying what people want to hear. You know, he is basically telling them, follow me, and you may end up losing your life, your mm-hmm. family, your wealth, everything. Who's in? Yeah. <laughs> You're right. Uh, he's he's not been reading, uh, you know, how to win friends and influence people. He is not a great salesman, if that's his goal. And I don't think that is his goal, as we'll see. Um, what he's trying to communicate, I think, is the heart of discipleship, what mm-hmm. it means to be a disciple of his. And I found this quote that really uh, summarizes it well. This is Scottish theologian Thomas Boston. He says, no man can be a true disciple of Christ to whom Christ is not dearer than what is dearest to him in the world. So, no person can be a, can really be a disciple of Christ if there's something more dear to them than Christ. Mm-hmm. So, with that in mind, I think really that's the filter we use to look at today's passage. Jesus is getting across this, this point. It's about commitment. It's about priorities. It's about putting God first. And putting him first over everything, like mm-hmm. even your own family, even over your possessions, your wealth, even over your own life. And um, by the way, that's that's what the word hate is getting at here. So what makes this passage especially difficult is Jesus says, unless you hate your mother and father, brother and sister, right. all your relatives, unless you hate them, you cannot be my disciple. You cannot. Um so, we did an extended treatment of that in this week's sermon. Mm-hmm. not going to repeat it here. Look it up at cascadefellowship.org if you want to hear. The long and short of it, though, is in the culture then, hate meant it was like comparison. So, Jesus is to be so far toward the top of your priority list, so much clear number one, that everything else looks like hate by comparison. You love him so much that everything else by comparison is hate. But it's just it's just a statement of priorities. It's a statement of putting him first. Mm-hmm. So that's the big picture. This is a passage we're reading that's about what discipleship must look like, what is real discipleship. Yeah. So you're talking about real discipleship. So let me ask on the opposite end then, does that mean that there is a fake discipleship or you know the Heidelberg uses uh, true faith. So is there mm. a fake faith as well? Yeah. Well, uh, unfortunately, the scripture says there is, maybe the most famous passage from Matthew 7, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, mm-hmm. but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And it even says that many will say to him on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? They did all these great things, you know, but but still... Jesus says, he will turn to them and plainly say, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. So mm-hmm. that's a scary thought. <laughs> yeah. There, There is true discipleship. There's what it looks like to truly follow Jesus. There's mm-hmm. true saving faith. And then there's the alternate, which which we just said is kind of false discipleship, fake yeah. discipleship, discipleship in name only, right? And so uh, Jesus also said in Matthew 7, uh, the very next verse after what we just read, He said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So Jesus constantly throughout the Gospels is saying provocative, difficult things like this. Like, don't be just about lip service, but if you're following me, you know, put put my words into action. Mm -hmm. And even his brother, James, uh, who went on to be a leader in the early church, wrote this letter and he said, you know, famously, 
Um, if you consider yourself religious and don't keep a tight rein on your tongue, you deceive yourself, your religion is worthless. Um, so it's all throughout the Bible, this scary notion that there's this true discipleship and then there's this false discipleship, just this discipleship in name only. Yeah. So we want to be true disciples and not fake disciples or false disciples. Mm-hmm. And we want true faith, not fake faith. But it's easy for that to kind of the, the pendulum to swing to the other side there a little bit too and become a lot more like legalism, which is earning your way into God's favor or performance-based relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Much more transactional. So why is this not that? I think James, again, right there in that same uh, area we were reading from, he clarifies it, right? So we are saved by faith alone, mm-hmm. but that faith affects your life, every part of your life. So in chapter two, James says, someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, it's not enough to believe. Even the demons believe there's a God, but obviously they're not saved. It's not a saving faith. So, yeah, the the faith that saves is a faith that you is real. Yeah. It's a real belief that really affects your actions because that's what beliefs do. If you truly believe something, it really does affect the way you act. And um, just, you know, let's bring this full circle back to where we started. So... <laughs> You were asking what's the point of this passage, and you know we said the summary is basically this: you can't be a disciple, you can't be a true disciple of Christ if he's not the dearest thing in your life. If there's anything dearer to you in this world uh, than Christ, then you're not a true disciple. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is Jesus again. He's just saying like Christianity. It's not an add-on. It's not this optional little thing. It's not a slight adjustment in your life. It's an all-consuming commitment that changes absolutely everything. Yeah. So back then, a lot of crowds were following Jesus. Like, they were following him around, probably to watch what was going on, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There was a lot happening. But they weren't really disciples. They weren't really following Jesus, as you said and pointed out in this week's sermon. Do you think the same is true today? How is this passage still relevant? Yeah, I think we see those maybe two types of people in this story. Yeah. So you got the followers who are really following and you got the followers who are just checking out the, the spectacle. Yeah. yeah. So in my sermon, I called those folks um, dinos, disciples in name only. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think I invented that. I invent, Maybe someone <laughs> else has said that, but I created that out of my head. So I'm okay. proud of that. Dinos, disciples in name only. And so the question is like, hey, it seems to me those two groups exist today. Mm-hmm. So how do I tell which one I'm in? Um, and the answer Jesus gives is is not easy, right? He says, if you love your family more than me, you don't get it. If you love your yourself, your plans more than me, your priorities more than mine, you don't get it. Yeah. And if you're not willing to part with everything you've got, your wealth, your possessions, everything, then you don't get it either. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not just a one-off. It's not like Jesus had a bad day here or just somebody <laughs> recorded the wrong thing, like misprint. He said this kind of stuff a lot. And so, you know, earlier in Luke, in Luke chapter 9, he said it this way. Um, people were coming up to him and saying, I'll follow you wherever you go. Mm-hmm. Verse 58, Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Like, oh, you really want to follow me? Well, here's my deal. <laughs> I basically am homeless, and you're in for a wild ride, okay? Yep. Do you really want to follow me? Uh, verse 59, he said to another person, follow me, but 
That person replied, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Heavy stuff here. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, Jesus, like, I do want to follow you, but I got some other stuff right now. You, you got to understand, right? My dad just passed away. Let me yeah. take care of that first. But Jesus, verse 60, says, no, no, no. Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And then a third, you know, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Mm -hmm. And Jesus replied to him similarly, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So this is radical discipleship Jesus is talking about, more radical than we think about Christianity today, right? So perhaps the church today is just making it a little too easy, a little too convenient, maybe consumeristic. Um, Jesus did not lower the bar. You know, everything else in this life, in this culture, especially here in America, is about lowering the bar, lowering the bar to entry, uh, making it easier and quicker, more convenient. Think about the Staples easy button. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I had one of those. I thought about bringing it on stage (laughs) Sunday, but I didn't. Think about like one-click ordering on Amazon. Everything in this world is about lowering the bar, making it easy. But, man, Jesus was not doing that. Jesus was not going to make it easy to to follow him. That, I think, is a really good discussion point, too. I know here we try to make it as easy as possible for people to come and fit in and feel a part of this community. Uh, is there a point where you go too far? Is that is that good? Uh is it, can there be too much of a good thing? Yeah, it's really interesting to think about that. Um, I like to think of it as removing stumbling blocks. So the gospel itself is already a stumbling block. Paul said so in 1 Corinthians 1, 23, that the idea of a crucified king is just mm-hmm. incomprehensible to people. It's an idea that people stumble over. And so my thought is, let's not put any other unnecessary stumbling blocks in front of people. Um, so, you know, our website, it should say clearly where we're located, when we worship, what it's like here. Once you get here, parking should be easy. Getting to the right door should be easy. Being welcomed should be easy. And then even after the service, taking a next step, like joining a group or finding a place to serve, that should be easy as well. Hmm. But uh, I don't know, man. Like Sometimes you see how Jesus ministered, (laughs) and it was almost like he was trying to thin the herd. You know, like he's trying to make it hard. You see that in these passages, right? Yeah. So um, one of the commentaries I really like uh, said it this way, Jesus was not looking for spectators, he was calling for recruits. So he had a different metric than a lot of churches today, right? A lot (laughs) of churches, the only thing that matters is attendance, you know, let's get as many uh, bodies as we can crammed into this room. Um, And if they're spectators, fine, you know, but Jesus wasn't about the spectators, he was about recruits. He was on a mission and drawing a crowd wasn't his goal. Forming disciples was his goal. Right. Getting people on mission with him was his goal. And so, yeah, he said some things that caused people to walk away. And if he did that, you know, so be it. He wasn't going to water down the message or the demands of discipleship. Right. And I think maybe churches, we could learn a thing or two from that today. Yeah. And he also talks about the or mentions the to count the cost. Um, What do you think that means? Yeah, I think that's part of what we're talking about here. It's just encouraging people uh, to think about the commitment they're making. It's being upfront with people that true discipleship is costly, right? So make no mistake about it. Grace itself is free. Salvation is free by grace alone through faith alone. But 
The Bible is also clear. When we follow Jesus, as our key text just said, we take up our cross, right? And we follow him. Um, and we follow him in, in his way, that way of living. So we give up a lot, right? We give up revenge. We give up hedonism. We give up pleasure and pride sometimes and exalting ourselves and hurting other people. Um, we, we give up a lot. But simultaneously, if you ask me, it's really a better way of living. So there is a cost, but in the end, it's a better way of living. And last week, you and Pastor Eric talked about abundant life. So which is it? <laughs> right. Yeah. So I think it's both. So in short, we give up things, but they're things that never really would satisfy anyway. Yeah. They're actually things that would harm us ultimately. Jesus is asking for us to give up those things and to pursue the way of living that God intended us when he intended for us, when he created us. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, next week we're going to talk about purity when it comes to relationships and, and marriage and fidelity. And uh, listen, that's countercultural. That's asking people to give up something that's, you know, pretty deeply ingrained in our culture today mm-hmm. um, to remain faithful to one person and even to save yourself for that one person before you're married. That's counterculture. That feels like giving up something. But we're going to see next week that's actually a better way. It's the best way. It's God wanting us to have like abundant living. Right. And, uh, and part of that is always surrender to him. Right. The passage that we read a little bit ago ends with a discussion about salt, losing its saltiness. Why does Jesus use this picture to sum up the whole thing? It is interesting. Like, I didn't expect that when I hit the end of the verse. It's like, <laughs> oh, is that the context for this? Right. But, uh, yeah, at the end of all this, he talks about a useless... Um, thing, salt mm-hmm. that's lost its saltiness. So if you go to the Dead Sea, and I was in Israel not long ago, and you drive down and down and down and down to below sea level where you've got the, the uh, Dead Sea, mm-hmm. and it's very, very salty. So they, they move the water into these areas where it can evaporate and it leaves behind the salt. Not just salt, but salt and a bunch of other minerals and chemicals. Right. And so they harvest the salt. Is that the right word? Harvest it, right? <laughs> they, they bring it out of the Dead Sea, and then people use it. But it can happen that the salt leaches out and just leaves behind all those other chemicals and other minerals. And so salt at that point has lost its saltiness. It's lost its ability to function like they needed to, to preserve things, to flavor things, um, to do a lot of different things they used it for back then and even today. And anyway, all that is a picture I think Jesus is putting before us of a wasted life. Mm. So um, basically the you look around, the world is filled today. It always has been, but today especially maybe. It's just filled with half-hearted Christians who've lost their ability to be distinct, to really follow Jesus, to flavor and preserve the world. And um, I guess the question for us as we just begin to wrap up here is like, you know, just think about how as Christians can we not be willing to sacrifice for Jesus, given yeah. all he sacrificed for us? Uh, and maybe that's part of why this is not legalism, right? This is something, when you understand what God has done for you with Jesus and the cross, like, it's voluntary, it's sensible, it's uh, Romans, what is it, 10, I'm going to misquote it now, 12, yeah, Romans 12, it's the only sensible thing, right? It's the only logical thing to give your entire being, body, soul, everything to God. Um, so the gospel is free again, but it demands everything from us, 100% spirit of being willing to abandon 
everything for God, to use everything for his kingdom, to part with anything and everything. Mm-hmm. And so the thing that makes this passage hard, again, is that it even includes your family. It even includes your wealth, right? It includes everything. Right. So it's a willingness to put your wife second. It's a willingness to put your kids second. That's hard to say, but it's a willingness to put school second or your work second or check this one out. <laughs> Even your political party second. Man, right. we could go on and on about that one, right? But we got to put God before all of those things, right? Because if we don't, all of those things can become idols to us. right? And that doesn't do anyone any favors. If you make your kids an idol, you know, I have enough study in psychology and human relations to know, wow, that is one way parenting can go south quick. Yeah. Um, if you put your kids first in your life in that regard, that they become idols to you, you're not doing them any favor. And so, really, I ended the sermon with this um, statement, again, pulled out of my own head. Maybe someone else has said it, but (laughs) I feel like I invented this. I feel like I'm proud of this. In order to love our families best, we really do have to love God first. So, and I think I said it was slightly different wording on Sunday, but that's the gist of it. Like, you know, God wants to be first, even above our families. But that's logical because to love our families best, we really do have to love God first. Um, and that's probably a good place to end today, just to remind people that, yeah, yeah, when you get everything in place, life really does work better. And, you know, it, it occurred to me after I preached, it always does. Like you have the of course, the best thought right, right. after you walk off stage. But... Uh, Think, you can even think of it this way, if you, if you don't like the sound of putting your kids second. Maybe it's not so much that God wants first place and you have to decide who's second, your wife or your kids. You have to decide who's third. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's that God wants to be the priority in every one of those areas. So God first in the way you parent. God first in the way you exist as a husband or wife. God first in the way you do your business. God first in your schooling. Um, so maybe that's a more helpful way of exploring this right. as well. Letting God into every corner of your life to make a difference and surrendering to him and what he wants. Yeah. I think that's a great place to end today. So next week we're going to talk about another difficult saying. Uh, we're going to talk about Jesus saying that we should cut off our hand or pluck our eye out if it, if it causes us to sin, right? So All right. I'm excited to, to hear what you have to say next week about that. Great. Looking forward to it. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll be in on that episode. Leave us a rating if you enjoy it. Absolutely. And uh, we'll see you again in a week. See you.